today's episode is a really special one. Um, it's a really personal one, and it's one that adults with ADHD, I hope, all give a listen to. I'll give one trigger warning with which to say this episode's going to talk about some hard stuff. And if it's too much, stop, take a break, get the support that you need, listen whenever you want to. And spoiler alert, it's got a happy ending, but there's, there's some tough, tough, tough stuff that we go through. So I just wanted to provide that as a bit of a heads up. But I hope it helps people. I hope it provides some much needed information and resourcing. And I'm really honored that our guest was able to share the things that he shared on this episode today. Welcome to the Christina Crow podcast, making the invisible visible. I'm your host, Christina Crow. I'm a psychotherapist and a relentless mental health advocate in Ontario, Canada. I'm bringing you my clinical insights and research-based facts on modern mental health, and I'm going to bring you the experts I rely on to share their wisdom with you. Let's do it, guys. Let's dig a little deeper and make invisible things visible. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Christina Crow podcast, where we connect the dots and search for more balanced mental health. Today, we're making invisible things visible for adults with ADHD who aren't paying attention to their health. In today's episode, I'm talking to my friend and colleague, psychotherapist John Folks. He is sharing his very personal story about an event that rocked all of our worlds last summer and almost killed him. This explosive and brutally honest session will give you the goods on the truth of how ADHD can be an invisible contributor to mental and physical health issues, and John will share how he used this experience to create an ADHD life reset. John is a registered psychotherapist, clinical supervisor, certified interpersonal psychotherapist, certified reality therapy choice theory psychotherapist, and certified professional coach, ADHD coach at Dig a Little Deeper here in Ontario. John's areas of specialized expertise include couples or people experiencing long-term romantic relationship challenges, families and couples managing ADHD, and adults with ADHD. John uses a blend of tailored psychotherapy and coaching techniques to support ADHD brains. John's psychotherapy approach is informed by a blend of psychodynamic therapy, emotionally focused therapy, interpersonal therapy, and solution-focused reality therapy approaches. He is also the author of My Mindful Compass, Bringing Focus into Your Life, is in a tool that systematically can help people balance the different parts of their lives that need their attention. Welcome to the podcast, John, and welcome back, because you are a returning guest. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Christina. I'm so happy that you're here and that you have made the decision to share this story. And there's a lot of places that we can start. And I think I would just like you to start by sharing what happened that day. I mean, from my point of view, it was last summer. I was in a training all weekend. Mm. And I got a text from you that said, Something along the lines of like, hey, do you have a few minutes to talk? And it was weird because it was like a Saturday or a Sunday text. And I was like, I'm in a, I'm in a training. 
like, uh, what's up or something like that. And I don't think you didn't call me back, but then Eileen, our, our admin, called me mm-hmm. and let me know what was going on, and maybe you can take it from here. Yeah. Well, let me say I'm. thank you so much for having me here, and I appreciate you saying that it's brutally honest because it's, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm going to get behind the curtain and share. And I can tell you it did turn my, my world around and upside down. But it was June 13th. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was about 12 o'clock and I was at home. My wife and I went around the block for a walk and I came back and I sat down and I said, I'm not feeling very well. And it was weird because I said, you know, I had this feeling of not feeling well probably two weeks before, maybe even a month before. I knew the feeling and I thought I should be fine. I'll just roll with it and see if I can let it ride out. And half an hour went by and I, I was I was seemingly worse. I was sweating. My heart was feeling heavy. My chest was heavy and a bit confused. And I wasn't paying attention to what probably was going on. Um, I thought, well, maybe we'll just go to the office and I'll check my blood pressure. I happened to have a blood pressure gauge and I looked at it. It was 170 over 110. I went, mm, that's a little bit high. <laughs> and I thought, well, mm, let's go to the walk-in clinic. We go across the walk-in clinic. I go inside. The doctor looks at me and he says, what are you doing here? My face was getting bigger. I was getting redder. I was starting to get swollen in the face. And he took my blood pressure. It was even higher. And he said, take these two aspirin. You got to get yourself to a hospital right now. You are not doing well. Your heart is having some problems here. In fact, you better get there so fast that you cannot take an ambulance. You're going to have to drive there. And my wife had the pressure, uh, the, the wonderful opportunity to take a grumpy John down to the hospital because I was obviously worried. Mm-hmm. It was about five minutes away from the hospital, and all of a sudden, all the discomfort in my chest moved right into right into the core of my heart. And in that moment, I knew that I was in trouble. Minutes later, I got into the emergency, and I literally walked into the emergency, and I rapped on the window, and I said, I think I'm having a heart attack right now. And they got me into a room, and there I'm lying down. All the doctors and nurses are around. They're hooking me up, and they said, Mr. Folks, you're having a heart attack. And when I heard that, I was absolutely floored. It was the very first time in my life that I ever experienced a moment where I didn't know what was going to happen that day. Mm -hmm. The mortality check was leveling. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I just thought, oh, my gosh, i got to tell my family that I love them. This may be my last chance. And oh, my goodness. Again, what's going to happen? Doctor says, we're going to have to get you in an ambulance. We've got to get you another hospital. We've got to get some stents in your heart. We're going to stabilize you. Next thing you know, I'm in the ambulance. I'm actually texting you. I'm texting others, right? And I got there and they wheeled me in. I thought I was like part of a TV show. And the doctors were all getting the room set up. And next thing you know, I'm lying there. And the doctor's actually, while I'm awake watching, putting stents in my heart. He put three in. And he said, so have you had heart attacks before? I said, no. He says, well, I see three here. Wow. You've got two that look like they're probably from the last month. And you've got another one here that looks about 10, 10, 20 years old. And I went, oh, my goodness. What I was feeling today was exactly the same thing from two weeks ago, four weeks ago. I missed it. I ignored it. I didn't think it was a big deal. I just got onto my day. I wasn't paying attention. And in that moment, he's looking at my heart and he said, you've got about 25 blockages in your heart. 
do you have coronary heart disease in your family? I said, yeah, my entire life. My father had a heart attack at 50, another one at 60, and I did not pay attention to the signs or the warnings. I ignored it. Mm-hmm. See where this is going? Not paying attention. And he said, wow, you've got all these blockages. How did you actually, how did you make it? Did, did you work out? I said, I've been working out all my entire life. He mm-hmm. says, yeah, that's probably what kept you alive. Mm. So there I am sitting there, now being rolled into that, into another waiting room, mm-hmm. and I end up in ICU for two days. Mm-hmm. And I wake up to a reality check like no other. I'm sitting there after a month of being in the hospital. I finally have the open heart surgery, and the doctor comes in, says, okay, we're going to get you ready for going home. It's going to be about two or three months to recover. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing a debrief of the conversation between the doctor and the nurse practitioner. And they're listing out all the different things that have happened and what medica- medication I'm going to be taking. And <laughs> the crazy thing here is that I'm hearing that I've had six coronary bypass. Yeah. We didn't even know six was possible. No. I was told before surgery that I would get three. Wow. I thought, well, this is interesting. And I remember, if I can just share a little bit of a yeah. funny story here, because it's in this kind of heavier part of the story. It was, I mean, one thing that got me through this whole thing while I was waiting for surgery, it took me about about a month to actually get the surgery. Yeah. And you never got to leave the hospital. No, like, you was, were in the hospital the entire month. All of us were, yeah. you know, on pins and needles the whole time. And during COVID, no yeah. visitors. Yeah. Mm, I had a lot of time to reflect and really what was going through my mind was, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. How did I miss all this? How do you get here? And here I am. It's an hour before I've got to go in for surgery. The doctor comes in. My wife is sitting there keeping me company. And the doctor says, okay, so I'm the doctor. We're going to do open heart surgery. It's going to take about three or four hours. We're going to do about maybe three or four bypass. We're going to see how things are when we go inside. But that's pretty much it. And in that moment, feeling a little jocular, a little humorous, I said, <laughs> can you show me your hand? And he goes, what do you mean? So I held my hand up and I started to shake it. And the doctor says, what, what, what do you, what, what? And my wife is like covering her face. Yeah. Like, oh no, John, like seriously. Just let him do his job, man. He's got a, an important <laughs> surgery. Don't do this. Let him do his job. Yeah. Right. And I said, I want, and he says, do you want me to do like a shaky hand test? I said, yep. I said, he says, okay, no problem. And he does this little shaky hand test, and he goes, I had two shots of vodka this morning. <laughs> I'm good to go. We had such a laugh, and boy, I needed that humor mm-hmm. going to what happened. I imagine cardiologists have to have quite a bit of humor. <laughs> yep. Yeah, man, he was so <laughs> witty. And the last piece here, I said to him, I said, you know, I got nothing else better to, to do today. I said, I'm going to be here all day, and I'm sure for a few more days. And I said, while you're inside mopping around, mm-hmm. doing, a little, doing a little bit of this and doing a little bit of that, I said, you have my consent. I mean, as a therapist, <laughs> as a therapist, I knew I should say the consent word. I said, you have my consent to go in there and do anything. Do what you can. Do you can and we'll do anything you want. And I said, like I said, I got nothing better to do today. So take your time. Mm-hmm. He had a good laugh. He walked away. And that was pretty much it. And then finally, at the end of that recovery of being at home, I literally sat in a lazy boy for three months to reflect on what happened, why it happened, how it happened, to actually get some real clarity, to actually create a reset. Because obviously, 
this was an experience that was waking me up. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say is this, is that the doctor finally phones me after three months and he says, hey, John, I just, I mean, it was actually just like talking to one of the guys, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And he says, John, I've only got five minutes here, but I just want to tell you, I looked at your ECG stress test, look at your performing well, all the recovery, everything's done. He says, you're good to go. I said, I, I just have one, one question. He goes, yeah. no, 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 I don't really have, I don't have the time, but talk to my assistant. And I said, can I, please, can I just ask one question? He goes, yeah, sure, shoot. I said, did I close the deal? <laughs> and he goes, close the deal? I said, yeah, did I close the deal on the six? Oh, the six coronary bypass? I said, yes, because I said, you said three or four. Mm. And he goes, oh, no, <laughs> no, you didn't close the deal. But I'll tell you what happened. When I opened you up, John, your heart is riddled with blockages. And I saw that your heart had created its own bypasses over the years. He says, you know, I know that you've worked out a lot. I said, yes. He said, yeah, your body found a way to keep you alive. He says, so you know what I did? You've got 20 years. Go live your life. But here's the deal. If I had given you three or four, you would have got 20 years. But I felt that the six would do justice for the lifestyle that obviously you had been living. Mm. And I didn't want to hold you back. I did what I can, nothing more. But what you have now is not another 20 years, but you can actually live your life. John, I basically turbocharged your heart. <laughs> now, that's incredibly moving for me to even hear myself mm. say that because in that moment I thought, and I said out loud, I said, should I be like happy about that? I mean, mm. I mean, how silly it is to hear myself say that. Like, wow, I guess I'm lucky. What does it mean? He says, well, you can live your life. Yeah. And I was so moved by that. And that really was probably the most profound moment is to realize I had another chance. Gave your life back. Yeah. Handed right back to you. Yeah. But kind of new and improved. New well, perspective. I, I hope it's a new heart. I hope it's improved. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, you know, as someone who was on the outside of that experience but also very connected to it and in all the ways that, that we could in our team. It was, I don't know, I don't even really know how to uh, articulate very well what it was like. Just, you know, waiting. There was a lot of waiting and seeing how things went and then being hopeful. And, you know, I have a lot of faith in science and physicians and surgeons. I knew, I knew from the stable place, you would be okay. But I think it is, it's exactly that piece. It's like, are you going to be okay and still feel like a sick guy? Are you going to be okay and feel like you're back to energetic, you know, go-getter, full-breath self, hmm. right, on some level? And, and what part um, was you? And then, you know, for me, from my knowledge and background, I know that after anybody has a heart attack and then people in general have any kind of cardiac surgery there's a risk of depression so i wasn't just worried about like your physical health that i was like are you talking to your therapist <laughs> like mm -hmm. are we talking to everybody yep. are we talking about our feelings like are we processing like this totally near-death experience and i was really wanting to make sure that your emotional heart was okay as well mm -hmm. And, and also just wanting you to not worry about like work and the pressure of everything, right? And, you know, there was, there's a whole other layer there of, of things you worry about when something sudden like that happens to your health. So I really appreciate all of the reflection that you've done and, and that you've shared 
and your willingness, I think, to share this with other people. Because as, as you know, and as people listening, you know, the thing about ADHD, when we are late diagnosed as adults, we look back in life and we're like, oh, like so many things make sense. But the most insidious part of it are all the parts of our lives that we didn't pay attention to that if we had, what might have been different? Mm-hmm. And maybe those things sometimes seem inconsequential, right? And then clearly sometimes they're not inconsequential. You know, when the doctor said to you, yeah, you had a heart attack like 20 years ago. Do you want to share this? Or, like, what do you remember about knowing about that incident? You, were, you would have been what, like in your early 30s? Yeah, so probably uh, late 30s. And I do remember... You know, I had to get some x-rays to see why my leg lengths looked different. Was it was it functional when my hip was out, or uh, was there a, a, an anatomical difference in my leg length? Actually, the bones were of different length, and the whole point was I got the entire battery of x-rays, and the chiropractor came back and said, well, my supervisor looked at your, your x-rays, and you've got a lot of hardening of the arteries coming down, down off of your heart into your abdominal aorta. And I went, oh, okay. So I went and got the stress test done. I went to Sunnybrook and, and the doctor turned around and says, yeah, you've got quite a significant amount of hardening of the arteries. More of it is coming off of your heart into your abdominal area. Fortunately, your carotid artery up in terms of where your brain is, all that, that looks to be fine. But you've got to get on some statin medication. You're going to have to get the cholesterol under control. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, what was incredible about this was that, well, that's cool. You know, that was like, here's John getting all these tests. I felt like, a, no, somebody's taking care of me. This is great. I got all the news. I said, yep, going to do that. I walked out the door. And what was the first thing that I did? I phoned up my friend and I said, oh, so we're going to meet at the gym and do some bench press today. And he goes, yep. And I forgot all about it. Mm. I completely ignored it. Then my dad had a heart attack. I knew it was in the family. I never got myself checked out again. I thought I should be good because I've always worked out, get on to the next thing, always get distracted, hyper-focusing on a few things, everything else is falling apart. And even though I was healthy and fit, my coronary heart disease was absolutely on an absolute stampede. Did anyone tell you, like, dude, if you don't pay attention to this, this is the outcome? Like, did any, do you remember anyone like trying to paint that picture for you? Or was it just like, you know, you need to take care of biz and start taking a statin now? Because, because that's young to be given that news. Yeah. So that's an unusual doctor's visit in and of itself. Yeah, that is a good question. I think in some ways that I had that similar message three or four or five times. And I now reflect and think, yeah, it seemed to have been a little bit more adamant as time went on. But Mm -hmm. I think that I was just not finding it to be novel enough to actually oh, okay yeah maybe i should take this as a as a warning sign to yeah. date like i'm not taking need i'm not going hey well wake up there's something going on here i, I was more like yeah 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 and squirrel i'm on the, i'm on to something else so i mean it was it was i call this like the sleeper effect it just kept on creeping up creeping up right. creeping up and the more my lifestyle got bigger family bills moving up in companies right and i'm not paying attention to my heart and adhd is running the show i mean i was diagnosed at seven i was untreated for 50 years (laughs) and right around the time just before the heart attack i was starting to look at getting reassessed and it was too late Mm -hmm. really what was happening is that all that was going on inside was actually falling apart 
because my brain, my executive function was all over the place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it was a bit of a water on the rock that I was not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Hey friends, if all you were told about ADHD was here's the medicine, off you go, then you've been missing about two-thirds of the recommended treatment. The stuff we know really works. Check out DIY ADHD, especially if you're waiting for services. You can get a jump start on all of the foundational education you can use to optimize the healthcare you're receiving or not receiving. Reclaim your family life. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this resource and use the promo code CCPODCAST for 15% off. It's so interesting. I mean, after I learned everything that we now know about ADHD and how it affects, how it shows up in life when you're late diagnosed as an adult and you do the look back reckoning and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. And I think of people in my life who have passed away, who have passed away for reasons that they're not misadventure. They're not obvious chronic diseases. They're something happened and through a twist and turn of events, things went downhill quickly and they died and death is traumatic and it's been traumatic thinking back that oh my god this was the adhd undiagnosed in my family history that if people potentially paid more attention to things and can connect the dots they might still be here and those i've had a lot of those moments in my own grief and in missing people that i love that i've lost um due to like not paying attention to our health and i just like so there's always this like layer so then you know i don't want to become like hyper vigilant and freaked out about every little thing that goes wrong so there's some level of just as we all all experience in the last couple of years i think a massive outpour of education and trying to understand all of our our health in general um alongside like the interest and you know increased assessment and looking for something like ADHD and and, you know the reason there's such an increase in that is because you know adults there's there's such a huge number of the number of adults that would have it that are still quite undiagnosed right so it's a huge like public health issue when I've had adults similar to yourself who have uh, explored diagnosis and treatment and gone down that journey if they've had other conditions like cardiovascular disease um, diabetes other kind of chronic conditions, when they've treated the ADHD, all of those other conditions have gotten better. Only because treating the ADHD means they're just able to pay attention to a few more things every day than they had been before. So they're actually able to be more compliant to the treatment protocol the cardiologist or the endocrinologist or the neurologist is actually suggesting they adhere to. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about your feeling and experience in the last year. I mean, first of all, why is it important to tell this story now? And and how have all the pieces started to come together? Well, Does that make sense? Yeah, that was a yeah. lot. I just well, it, 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 it gets me thinking. I mean, obviously, I've been thinking for a year on this. <laughs> and I would say... The one quick question I can answer is why am I sharing this? Um, I, I, you know, I call this the perfect heart attack. It was the ultimate wake-up call. By the time that I had walked in to say I'm having a heart attack, and then a few hours later, actually going in for surgery, and the doctor turning around saying, 
Not only are you having a heart attack, but John, your heart is functioning at 28% right now. If I had not got down to the hospital the time that I did, and God bless my wife, putting mm-hmm. up with me and driving me down and not just leaving me on the corner. She got me there, mm-hmm. but I got in there just in time. Because she's been telling you for a long time, John, take it easy. John, don't stress out. John, John you're going to have a heart yeah, attack. Exactly. Okay. I just wanted for all the women out there who are yelling <laughs> at their husbands to go to the doctor, I just want to give a prop yes. out there. Yeah. Shout out. You're to the right. <laughs> Say that again, John. You're right. <laughs> One more time. No. <laughs> but the gift is that I've had a wake up call. Mm-hmm. I'll call it a near death experience. I'll call it more than just a warning (laughs) because I have been nagged. I've been warned. Doctors advising didn't pay attention. And the reason why I'm sharing this is I thought, well, we always hear about somebody saying, oh, you know, it's going to it's going to happen. Better watch out. And we go, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? Maybe some people will tune this out. But what I'll ask you to do is consider. Think about the people in your life, the people that matter to you. It could be it could be a musical performer, it could be a movie star, it could be a relative, somebody that you've known in the last year or two that meant a lot and all of a sudden they've passed, there's a massive heartache there. And I think if anything, if you think about that so we can hit home, it's just to wake up and say, wait a second, can I pay attention? Do I need help with paying attention? Is there something going on with my ability to keep track of things like something as fundamental as my health, whether it's going to be just being able to walk around the block to managing the stress at work or to be able to be more active, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. The one thing that kept me going was exercise. But there were three other things that I was not paying attention to. A, I wasn't paying attention to how my brain was working. Mm -hmm. I mean, if anything... I was doing a lot of self-medicating. I wasn't on proper medication. For 50 Mm -hmm. years, the medication was either pretzels, (laughs) ice cream, marijuana, alcohol. Cheeseburgers. Several. (laughs) But that was the the way I medicated. Caffeine, every way possible to keep myself going. I think we can underscore this just for a second, Mm -hmm. right? Because when we talk about the ways we self-medicate, I'm doing air quotes, medicate, we... We think people are talking about like drugs and alcohol, but we self-medicate in our culture in myriad ways. We do it with work. We do it with picking fights. We do it with online shopping. We do it with porn. We do it with recreational drugs. There's gambling, you know, sports. Like there's so many ways that we need to stimulate an understimulated brain or calm an overstimulated brain down. And our body involuntarily drives us towards things that allow us to regulate. And they just may not always be good. Sometimes they might be good. So exercise is a perfect example of a self-medication tool that can be adaptive until it's not. The until it's not part is that if it's masking medical conditions that you should be treating, mm-hmm. if you have to run, not just like you're running because you enjoy it and it's something you do because it's like part of your life and fitness and whatnot, but you have to, otherwise you can't function well or you get squirrely or you get dysregulated. Like that's something to look into. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, is that mm-hmm. fair? Like that's well, kind of how I conceptualize it with people. I love to get like a working inventory of all the ways someone I'm working with is self-medicating. Mm-hmm. It, it totally resonates for me because, you know, all this time sitting on my lazy boy recovering trying to put the pieces together. <laughs> Not being able to go for a run. <laughs> you know, 
not being able to go for mm-hmm. a run, the hardest part was actually walking to the sidewalk mm. to actually make it to the ele- first electrical box and mm-hmm. to look back at the house and saying, can I make it back? Wow. And I, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. And one thing was physical function. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that regard, yeah, I, I was over-functioning with fitness just to pay attention. Oh, you're so fit. Like, always exercise. John's always trying to get me, for everyone that's listening, to, like, do more exercise. It's, mm-hmm. like, my biggest downfall. Time for a walk. You can't, like, be good at everything, right? <laughs> that's my joke. Yeah. It's my self-effacing, avoidant personality <laughs> joke right there with exercise. But yeah. I was like, John's exercising enough for both of us. I'm fine. Okay, so we're good, yeah. <laughs> well, that'll be just a way to actually uh, use it as an excuse all the time. Yeah. But here's the deal. Yeah, if, if physical functioning... I was over-functioning. Mm-hmm. When it came to brain functioning, yeah, I was self-medicating with all the ways I mentioned. When it came to my executive function, yeah, I was over-functioning because I was doing way too much mm-hmm. and only doing one or two things, and I was burning myself out doing them. Mm-hmm. And from an emotional function standpoint, I mean, I was putting more and more on my plate because I wanted to do it because enough is never enough. Mm-hmm. And I was not regulating anything mm-hmm. i mean when we talk about you know working with clients and and trying to bring somebody into their window of tolerance yep. from a physical emotional executive function and neurobiological standpoint yeah. those four key components every single one of them was not in the proper window and they're all related they're all like related when one's out of whack like, I don't know that it's possible to be like, I'm super cool and these two parameters and those other ones I'm not great at and like actually convince yourself that that's okay or think that that's going to last for too long. Mm-hmm. It might be okay when the stressors are low in your life, but the minute life throws more stressors on your plate, all that shit's just going to go out of whack, right? Yeah. Those were the four key areas. Mm-hmm. And what I was doing is thinking, how do I reset all this? Yeah. Because I could not go back to where I picked up, where I finished off. It wasn't going to happen. I had to cut everything in half, which mm-hmm. was really difficult. Yeah, coming back to work, you couldn't see as many clients. Yeah, that and that was really was, hard. That was really hard because yeah. I've, oh man, I've cared for all my clients. I, you know, I've been there to support them. Yeah. And, it's and a weird that, job. Yeah, we have that. a weird job, guys. <laughs> the way we feel about everybody that we work with, yeah. and then the, what we have to do to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Physically and emotionally, in order to be present and good to work with people, it's not, it's just, it's hard to describe, I think. Yeah, and and to really reassess and say, you know what, I have to say goodbye to some people, and I didn't want to, Mm -hmm. but I felt I'm not doing them any favors, and I can't do it anymore. So that was a very difficult goodbye, and then reassessing, okay, well, what's happening with my brain function, and what do I have to do to make sure that if I need treatment now, and I did... Yeah. What is going to be appropriate? How do I organize my life better? And how do I make sure that from my, you know, emotion function that I'm doing things realistically and manageable and in my physical fitness that I'm maintaining, but it's all within a proper balance. That I think has been the biggest reset as I look at each of those four areas and I look at them as levers or dials and how to fine tune so that all of them working together, to your point, I'm actually in a healthy range of functioning that I'm sometimes pushing it a little bit too much and sometimes not enough, but mm. I'm, I'm making adjustments along the way and I'm doing that mindfully. So how are you doing? What's different now mm-hmm. that allows you to keep track of that consistently versus yeah. before? Yeah. So each of those four areas, essentially from a neurobiological standpoint, 
obviously working with proper medical professionals to make sure that I'm actually functioning properly when it comes to focusing and managing my attention. Yeah. So I get somebody on my team to do that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to organization, I've actually been learning best practices from you, people that I know mm-hmm. as to what is going to be the best way to keep organized, to prioritize, how to manage how I'm focusing. So I'm keeping an eye on that mm-hmm. as I'm doing things. I map it out in the day and say, when am I going to do what? Mm-hmm. How long am I going to do it for? Mm-hmm. Am I going to take a break? Am I going to actually have a glass of water, have something nutritious, take a little walk around the block? Yeah. There's that walk again. And when it comes to the emotional side, yeah, getting my own therapy. I was blessed to have a therapist who was there at call anytime yeah. and to continue that support so that my mood would be regulated yep. so that I'm actually not getting too hyper and anxious all the time. But working on that self-care every single day. Yeah. And one of the things I do is sometimes I'll just have a mindful moment. And in the afternoon, it could be between appointments. And I might take just 10 minutes and I'll just meditate, yeah. sit out in the backyard, take a slow moment. Slow everything right down. Slow it right down. Yeah. Have a 5 to 10 minute nap. And the exercise, I continue. But I'm always checking in as to what's too much, what's too little. Yeah. And I actually map it out on a daily basis. Like I make sure paper and pen? Paper and pen. I move okay. from all the funky apps and electronics and mm-hmm. into handwriting and to slow myself down and actually say, okay, what am I going to do today? What's realistic? And can I monitor it and keep myself managed throughout the whole day? So I'm always keeping a mindful tab on being in a healthy range. Yeah. And now my ability to focus is greater. My energy is greater. Mm-hmm. I'm doing less but getting more done. <laughs> that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And it lines up with what we know that flies in the face of the daily practice of people with ADHD who want to have like 25 to 80 things on their to-do list in their app that's running. And then constantly feeling buried by the pressure of all of those things. Because now they figured out how to use an app. So now we're writing everything down, right? So that feels like a win. Except I always tell people, if you have more than three things on your list every day, you've got too many things. I mean, beyond like brushing your teeth, (laughs) you know, I mean, like, like things that you want to achieve in a day. Like, can we limit that? Because it has gotten out of control what everyone thinks they're supposed to be doing. Right. It's just not compatible with regular human life because because we're supposed to be enjoying this journey. Not just racing to some outcome, you know? Well, here's the thing, though. We are always, seemingly, I was, even at times it creeps in as being addicted to being inspired with another thing to do. Well, the dopamine. I got to do that. Just the idea of it. I get the rush and I think, oh, I got to do that. And when I sit down, I go, whoa, there's a lot here. I underestimate how long something's going to take. I overestimate how much energy and attention I have to put to it. Yeah. I mean, you really got to pick. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a huge shift came for me and, and some of my clients, if you're listening and you know, this has happened in our sessions is, you know, we're so creative, neurodivergent brained people. And uh, every day we're coming up with some million dollar idea. Like, why has this not been invented yet? Why has someone not made this happen yet? Because clearly this should be happening. And, and oftentimes it comes up in a creative conversation with somebody. You know, and so we'll joke and be like, oh, my gosh, this is what needs to happen next. 
And now, instead of actually thinking it's me that needs to do it, I just let it go. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with someone else launching the million-dollar idea, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas before, I had that level of self-awareness. Because I came up with it, I thought that meant I needed to do something about it, right? I was so directed by my emotions and my energy state, and now I've learned to detach from that, to appreciate it in the moment for what it was, to have a laugh. To appreciate what the beauty of ADHD creativity and nonlinear thinking is, and then to let it go. Because mm-hmm. I got to get shit done, you know, in that moment, whatever it is I'm focused on. Mm-hmm. So I can honor it and then let it go, right? Mm-hmm. Sell the idea on that's, eBay or something. But yeah, <laughs> so many t shirt ideas. But that is like really hard to do when you're driven in that way, like when you're a driver and you're creative and when you're an entrepreneurial minded person, too. Mm-hmm. I think there's another layer of being um, male, like a man, and being a breadwinner, and the pressure of that, that I participate in that as an entrepreneur, but I think culturally it's different. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that as a Gen Xer, because I also think maybe it's different generation by generation. I don't know. Do you? Yeah, I, I think there's some of that. I think in the end of the day, everybody has gotten caught up in the rat race. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you look at everyone, we're all pushing it too hard. Everybody has three jobs oh and they've gosh. lost sight of how to have balance. Oh it's hyper-focus on way too many things. And, you know, one of the things that becomes a real challenge, it's not coming up with the ideas that get us inspired. It's to say, like you said, okay, that was a wonderful idea. I'm going to... I'm going to kiss it goodbye Mm -hmm. and then come back to those two or three things that you've chosen to do for that day. Mm -hmm. And we look at those two or three things and go, oh, it doesn't seem so exciting. They're not so sexy anymore. I don't know if I want to do that. And then how do you actually say, no, I'm going to stay committed to those few things and follow through. Mm -hmm. And part of that day of planning it out, if it is three things, when energy is best for me in the first third of the day, I'm doing 60% of my effort and energy into it. As I get into the afternoon, about 30% goes into the other project. Mm-hmm. And as I start to sort of wear down into the evening, right, that's the last 10% I'll put a little bit more into that mm-hmm. third project. And that's how the deck gets shuffled and how I keep an eye on keeping a balance. And so yeah. there's neurobiological balancing. There's going to be executive function balancing, emotion function balancing, yeah. and the physical function balancing. Not to make this complicated, yeah. but the key is... It's just touching upon each of those four areas and saying, how much can I tweak here and there to bring it all together? Mm -hmm. And then for me, and what I've also shared with a lot of my clients, go pen and paper. Yeah. Slow it down for a moment. Slow down your life. Simplify. Can we do a dopamine detox for one? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, do a declutter of our space and a simplifying of our schedule. Yeah. And how can I get some mastery out of doing less to get traction again and to be able to get some balance and the ability to focus. Yeah. The the other thing I'll say that I observe in you over the last year, just as your colleague and friend, that I think has really been huge, and maybe this falls into the emotional quadrant, is that you've been much more open about sharing, here's what I need. Here's where I'm at. Here's what works for me. Can you do this for me? And that's been really beautiful because it's allowed me to be like, oh my God, yes. And so John and I had this joke, guys, that 
because, you know, we're always coming up with projects and ideas like every day. There's a new idea of something we can do. Like it's really kind of like it's it's beyond funny. Sometimes it's annoying even. Right. It's like, oh, gosh, you know, like if only I had like 10 versions of us, we could do all the things. But but one of the things was like, like my commitment to you is I'm going to bottleneck your ideas and like we're going to slow everything right down. Like I forget the actual phrasing that we were joking about back then because it was just kind of like when you get two creative adhd brains together who are interested in the same thing like we're constantly riffing off of each other like you'll say something i'll be like oh my god okay like let's do that and then next thing you know like in 30 seconds we have like some sort of plan and then it's kind of like no we can't do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) like in service of all of our cardiovascular health we are not doing that Mm -hmm. right and so John had to be open to me saying that, but you had to invite me in to say that in the first place. And a lot of times we don't want to invite other people in to have a say and to slow us down when we have ADHD, mm-hmm. probably in part because we felt so held back by the world in the first place. So it's like, I will be damned as an adult. You know, this is like the, this is the fight, the fight energy in me. I'll be damned as an adult. If I'm going to let anybody stand in my way, they can eat my dust. You know what I mean? I very much have that inside of me. Mm-hmm. Someone wants to tell me I can't do something. I'm going to show them. That's like me in my 20s <laughs> every day. And then there's just something about that, though, that's really isolating because it doesn't leave room for other people to have a say. You know, what I, and I think about there's so many couples who probably one partner might be urging the other one to go pay attention to something, go take care of something in their health that they're noticing. And the other partner is like holding back. They don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be told what to do. Right. So we have all this emotional crap that we're dealing with from our childhoods is like one of the things that has us not pay attention to our health and just like do the things we need to do to take care of ourselves as adults. Right. Mm -hmm. It's boring going to the doctor. It's annoying. It's a pain in the ass. There's barriers, answering machines, wait lists, wait times. Oh my God, you got to call back. So it's not easy to even do it. Mm-hmm. So the amount of persistence that it takes to do that. Anyway, my, the point I'm trying to make, I guess, is that there's that emotional availability piece that, that you really stepped into that, which has been really lovely to see. So I don't know if I just noticed it now and it was always there because mm-hmm. I'm paying attention more. I'm like, oh shit, I better start paying attention to John. <laughs> right well, or that's something that you feel has happened i don't know yeah I, I think it was a bit of a contract in some ways because i remember just a few months after we were kind of just saying okay i'll return back maybe in the middle of september a few months after and, and you said john you know we need to talk about what, you know what you're committing to and i thought okay I'll, I'll be open here is this a parental experience yeah and i had to give you a talking to so so i was open and i said okay so what well look at You've got a couple of projects to work on and, you know, we're good. But if there's anything else you want to add, I'm going to ask that you run it by me. Mm-hmm. I went, okay. What? <laughs> yeah. And I remember at that time you saying, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really need to be mindful of doing that myself. Mm. It's, oh, that, yeah. it's that openness. And, you know, working with couples, this is actually a topic that comes up and it's so important, is often... One partner will say to the other, you need to do this. I've been telling you to do this. And it comes across as nagging mm-hmm. and, and parental. And so then when we're able to shift the communication, the dynamic, what it actually ends up being is that one person is being a partner to the other to say, hey, I'm here to support you, but I'm seeing something that maybe you're not. 
can you take that in? And the other person says, yeah, great. And that openness really in the end is through our relationship of working together. How do we make sure that we don't riff off too much? So we had to have that contract. Mm -hmm. And then when you're looking at adult romantic relationship couples mm -hmm. in that dynamic, in some ways it's the same thing. Yeah. How do we actually you know, bring it to the surface so it's not invisible anymore, right, right to your point. Yep. And how do you have an open communication so that we actually take the nagging and parental role out of it and we have two people who are actually on the same team and collaborating mm -hmm. and uh, and making it workable. Yeah. How refreshing is that? Well, <laughs> you know, and I think the other lens is that, you know, John and I are like work buddies. We're work colleagues. And one of the places where people feel like they can't say stuff to their colleagues is at work because it's like oh we're work colleagues am i allowed to say holy shit i'm worried about you are you doing okay mm -hmm. and what can i do to support you because that really doesn't have anything to do with my day-to-day -day job but what that has to do with is like my function as a human being at work right and one of the things that has always driven me crazy in the workplace was when you see someone you know they're struggling you know they're going through something you know somebody's getting divorced. You know somebody's having a hard time with their kid. Yet somehow that's something taboo to talk about because we're at work, right? Like all of a sudden at work, we're these like sterile people who are like not humans, who don't have things going on that influence their productivity and the way to do things. And, you know, when I left my former career and I started doing this work, I was like, I will be damned that moving forward on any level that I am just not going to be like my whole self with my colleagues and share parts of myself. And this is why this, as therapists, we're trained that we're not supposed to self-disclose. We're not supposed to share too much of ourselves. And that's why there is a shifting tide. Like there's really good function reason for that, for sure, absolutely. But there's this other piece is like, you know, we're all allowed to be human with each other. And then I think just that whole, when we were navigating you coming back, but like, I want you to come back and like stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> and be happy and functional, not come back and feel like you have to produce as a worker, like to to keep your spot, like that that was somehow more important than you being safe and healthy and happy, right? Mm -hmm. And then finding a way to communicate that in a way that was like respectful to you and your autonomy, but to let you know, like you're in a loving family relationship here, not like work is family, like hey, we're not like that. Um, on our team, we very much feel very connected to each other, I think, like from a values point of view, I would say. But to know that like you're safe with us. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that helped contribute to the recovery and to how you recovered because you've made like a swimming recovery and your doctor told you you had the heart of a 19 year old now or something like that mm -hmm. when you came back. That was cool. Mm -hmm. Then we went and had cheeseburgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I I did feel supported. I felt that it was safe to actually say, I can't be Superman. Yeah. I, I need to dial it down. Yeah, and I'm like, and, and, can, and can that be okay? Yeah. And I think, you know, this, and so thank you. And, and I've felt that sense. And I think and really for all people listening here, I think it's the same thing when we look around to the people we care about mm -hmm. and we might see somebody in our family or friends and we see somebody that might not be taking care of themselves. Something seems to be off. Yeah. They're not healthy or they're distracted or they're under a, a, an undue amount of distress. And one of the things that's the biggest leverage is what you're talking about. 
is the relationship. Yeah. How do I actually just be a good listener? How do I connect? How can I show interest in that person? And maybe the conversation can come up in a context of curiosity and, mm-hmm. and say, you know, just wondering how this is going. And and sometimes we can just lend that ear that people kind of know and they'll say it themselves. Yeah, I'm just so stressed out. I need to, you know, I got to I got to have to slow down here. Oh, so mm-hmm. the wheels are turning. And, and then how can you actually be there to help support them to look at maybe, well, how might they explore that? Yeah. So we don't pounce on anybody, but we're listening and we're, we're leveraging a, a, an honest relationship like yeah. you did. In a way that we can be there for people, because yeah. I mean, let's let's all face it. Like I said at the beginning, you know, all of a sudden we hear about somebody passing or a loved one who's not well, and we can't we can't believe it. It's like, oh my gosh, how it happened, yeah. and and then after a while we just kind of get desensitized. And and if anything, is there something in what we've talked about today? Yeah. To actually say, is there something with how I'm functioning? And is there something that I might need to be a little bit more mindful and to get that balance? And how do I take this today and, and not have to wait where yeah. there's that ultimate wake-up call? Yeah. Right? That's really what it's about. So that people can get their life back. We've, we've gotten so into the rat race mm-hmm. and how hard it's been around COVID the last couple of years. And, you know, people losing connection and... And feeling disconnected with themselves, and and how can you now slow down and do a bit of a a stock take and a reset? Yeah, yeah. I'm really curious. Can I ask? So I'm thinking about some of the cardiologists that I know, and I'm wondering, um, you know, in all of the discussions with the that team, like the interventionists and the cardiologists and everybody. Did the, mostly in your recovery, I guess, not the acute part when you're in hospital, because it would be less interesting, but did the subject of how having ADHD play into this come up? Is that something that's on their radar in terms of public education, their patient population in general, who's at risk? Because there is a link between cardiovascular disease and ADHD. I don't know which way it goes. I, presumably it goes ADHD people that are untreated have a greater risk of cardiovascular events, which makes sense in terms of what we're talking about. Yeah. And I can probably link that research in the show notes. I'll find it. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. What direction does it run? And also looking at lifestyle as a cofactor, I think if anything, yeah. when you've got somebody with uh, you know markers for coronary heart disease and then they've got ADHD, and we're not paying attention to typically what that ADHD yeah. mind might do in terms of lifestyle. Right? To and you don't know when enough is enough and the whole bit. Yeah. And you put those all together. I mean, in some ways, there's different team members that are that can be involved in those different aspects. Yeah. The medical doctor looks at my coronary heart disease. I might go to a clinic that specializes in ADHD. And then I'm looking at, you know, working with a, a wellness coach, for example, around my, my well-being and so forth, my mm-hmm. exercise, activity, nutrition, water, sleep. Water and sleep. And guess oh my what? gosh, guys. All water these and team sleep. members are not actually team members on the same team. Yeah, they're not talking They're to in each their other. own silos. Yeah. So you're I, quarterbacking it. The person with executive function challenges. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. absurd, right? Yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, as you said with my bio at the beginning, I take the psychotherapy, which is the emotional world. Yeah. I take the coaching, which is the executive function. Mm -hmm. I am a certified personal trainer. I used yep. to be a competitive bodybuilder, which did not actually help me in terms of my heart disease mm -hmm. because of all the extra vitamins, if you know what I mean, that were taken to win bodybuilding mm -hmm. contests. But the point the was, vitamins. is that <laughs> now bringing it in, working with clients, Often, I'm looking at a, an integrated approach. I can sort of do that air traffic controlling. But my experience, like, for example, when I was in the hospital, wonderful heart surgeons and wonderful cardiologists. But when I asked the question about ADHD, oh, I'll have to get back to you on that. They did their due diligence, but, you know, like they had to weigh out, you know, are we doing a stimulant, non-stimulant? What's the dosage? You know, what type of monitoring are we going to do beforehand? And, I mean, they, it was a great result because they took their time and yeah. did their due diligence. But to what you said, I had it to be the quarterback. Yeah. I had the to The burden was on you as a patient to yep. bring all the different specialized of your body parts yep. practitioners together. Yep. Absolutely, because that coordinating is, is not happening when you've got different silos. And so it became really apparent that, okay, well, then I just have to make sure that I'm communicating with the different people and be as transparent as possible yeah. and, and trying to link that. And I know that that's something that we've done here at Dig a Little Deeper to really make sure that mm -hmm. we actually have open communication. Yeah, and making we do sure a lot of care we, coordination, talking right. to docs, like the docs that want to talk to us, we mm -hmm. do. We send information back and forth, and it's wonderful when they do. I mean, ideally, when I think about our public health care system in Canada, the quarterback, I think, is supposed to be the family doc. And that works, I guess, if there's not a bottleneck to see your family doc. And if your family doc knows and gets ADHD, then that works. But all those things have to be true first. Mm -hmm. And that is actually how the model played out. So my, my family physician was great in that way because they were conferring with the cardiologist, yeah. also with the clinic where I had some ADHD testing again. Mm -hmm. So I got a second diagnosis and they conferred so that my, my actual family physician had a really good firm grip on okay. you know, what was happening with my heart, what was happening with medication, what's the proper dosage, and being able to be there knowing yeah. that I had a go-to person. But in the end, I knew that I actually had to facilitate that. As much as when I was at the hospital, I had to make sure that I had 10, 11 medications given to me. I realized one time in, one week in, that one of the medications they were forgetting, and it happens. But wow. I have to be responsible. Yeah. You, I even told you that. You said, well, that's good that you're paying attention because, you know, the ADHD <laughs> brain would not pay attention, but we have to be responsible for it. I think this is the opportunity yeah. is how do we simplify, slow it down, yeah. look at the different areas and say, what do I need to fine tune here? Who can I put on my team? And how do I get traction again? Yeah. So I don't just ignore it and say, oh, I'm invincible or don't well, I'm going to wait until I have the wake-up call, but how can I start to move the ball rolling mm -hmm. in a healthy direction that's actually sustainable and doable? I think, you know, one of the things that's coming up for me is you're, you're kind of painting that picture of being in the hospitals. You know, before COVID, what would happen, you know, maybe in cancer care or in, you know, you're going to see a specialist for some, you know, kind of major treatment of something, you know, the, the docs almost rely on you having a family member with you. You know, they, like if you're going for cancer treatment, I think the message is all you always have someone else come with you if you're going for scan results and stuff, because you need someone who's not you, who's going to be able to process the information, take notes, keep track of what's going to go, share back with the doctor what's been going. 
you know, if you're lucky enough to have somebody and then the pandemic took all that away because then you're by yourself as the patient mm-hmm. trying to keep track of this stuff. And I don't know if there's been a good solution to that. I think some of the maybe the limits have lifted, but I don't know if things are going back down the other way now. But because part of the deal, just as humans, never mind with ADHD, is that we're not supposed to be doing this stuff by ourselves. We are supposed to be depending on each other. Like that's normal. And when we force ourselves to try and manage everything by ourselves, that's when we run into trouble. And especially if we've got ADHD, we run into trouble because it's just not, it's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be like that. It doesn't feel good anyway, right? So to think that you would be in that incredibly vulnerable position, having to, like even the burden of having to notice, like, oh my God, I only got 10 pills today instead of 11. Seriously, that's kind of nuts, right? Yeah. I imagine a lot of people listening probably have a really similar feeling and there might be quite a few ahas kind of going off in the audience. And I just wonder when it comes to the reset plan, like, first of all, you've got like a book coming on this. Yes. Mm-hmm. When do you know when that's going to be available? Well, I yet? have to mindfully plan it in. Okay, no pressure. <laughs> well, I I should have the drafts done uh, by late fall, okay. and then look to publishing it in the new year. It's called the Perfect Heart Attack, mm-hmm. and essentially it'll give a bit of a breakdown on the dumpster fire that happened, which I share today, mm-hmm. and deconstructing what had actually happened and what were those pieces that were contributing, that were not being paid attention to, yeah. and then how to really simply and effectively bring in those three or four areas we talked about in an integrated way. Really, yeah. the, the key is, is, is what I see as, you know, functional right optimization yep right that's the key mm-hmm. and i think what will come out of that probably too is is bringing it into the coaching realm mm-hmm. and putting together you know either groups or you know a course that can be done that'll be really about allowing people to learn how to sort of get a really effective snapshot yeah how to get people on your team and how to be able to fit it in and balance out so it's actually the key is it's got to be simple and effective mm-hmm. i don't think it's going to be helpful to put out another complicated program i think there's this way too much complication into everything these days that it's about simplifying yeah so i think taking things off our plate like i talk about that a lot yeah right People think that they're just supposed to be able to like there I I often there's often this place where you're late diagnosed, you just figured it out, you've started medication, you've experienced the kind of transformative relief that even comes from the beginning of that journey. And then it's like everyone's like rolling up their sleeves like, "All right, now I'm going to like attack everything in my life and become so functional and uber functional and fix all the things." And it's kind of like, "Well, I actually want us to slow down. I don't want us to ramp up." And then working through that feeling because it's not about doing more. It's not about being more productive. It's about being more intentional about what you choose and, and being able to choose instead of just being willy nilly led by all the fires that are lit in your life every single day that are determining what happened rather than you being intentional about what you let in and out of your life. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I think that's essentially why I call it the perfect heart attack. Because essentially what it took me is to experience a mortality check. Yeah. To actually realize it's not just in my head where I can, you know, if somebody said to me, John, you're going to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. 
John, you're going to have a heart attack. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. oh, there's a little bit of tension there. But when somebody says, John, you are having mm. a heart attack in that moment, yeah. to hear just that difference is a game changer. And the whole idea here is we're not John trying to scare everybody into action, yeah. but to actually say, okay, can yeah. we take a piece of this and have just enough of a nudge to say, okay, I'm interested. Yeah. To me, the only way people get going when there's no inertia is there's got to be a little bit of pain to kind of say, this is a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And if the conversation today was in some ways a little uncomfortable, mm -hmm. because it may be something you can relate to, whether it's close to home, for whatever reason that might be, think about that. It's like, wow, that is not bad pain. Yeah. It's information that says, I, I need to maybe get moving here. But where people get turned off is the fact that to move, the plan it's too huge yeah the goal is when too you don't big. mean to fuel that pathway yeah. right? it's not enough to get us there yeah. it's enough pain to wake us up and go wow i really learned a lot today but the next day we forget mm -hmm. is that actually a okay there's something meaningful here for me what do do what, what can i do yeah. and what i'm about to do is it going to be doable so I can get some traction and it, I can fit it in and I can get some momentum and then it becomes a habit. Yeah, you're talking about making something like simple enough so that it's sustainable. Right. Simple, easy yeah. and, and kind of quick in some ways in terms of implement implementation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if anything, that's really what this is all about. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm excited about is that if putting this program today helps people you know, to be more functional and to be able to optimize. I'm not talking about being optimized at a 10 out of 10. Yeah. It's actually finding for you, what's your sweet spot? Yes. You know, is it is it to be operating at a 9 out of 10 and then crash and burn? Yeah. Or how about heal and learn, right? Yeah. And the idea is that maybe I'm best to be at a solid 7. Mm -hmm. and, and if I take those four dials and tweak them so that I'm always in that window, mm -hmm. right? then there's sustainability, it's healthier, it's more balanced. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, our relationships become more grounded. Mm -hmm. Our relationship with ourself is more grounded. Our health will improve. We could be more productive with the projects that we do decide to take on. Yeah. Typically, then we have time to have some hobbies so we feel more fulfilled and it's not just about work. Yeah. I mean, heck, there's a word for you, heck. When I was in the hospital, I took up poetry. I never yes. thought in my lifetime I would ever do that. Yeah. And yet I thought the only reason why is I slowed down. Yeah, and, my, and my creative brain said, oh, hi. So there's yeah. no time for me? Mm. So optimizing means not being a 10 out of 10. It's what we want to do is when working with somebody is when it comes to the emotions, the executive function, physical, neurobiological, can we tweak it just enough? Mm -hmm. in a way that we're optimizing what works best for you. Mm -hmm. So that way you get your life back and get that balance. But you're still motivated. You're still having fun. Yeah. Your relationships are flourishing. And you can still focus. But you're not going outside the rails. Yeah. Right? Are you planning on including some of the poetry in the book? Three pieces. Okay, that's going to say that's yeah. going to be really cool. Yeah. Nice.
Are you going to include it in the in the times that you wrote it? Yeah. In the story? I am, yeah. Neat. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Have you been reading my transcripts? No, I haven't <laughs> at all. But but you you might not even remember you read me one of them mm-hmm. early. Yeah. That was like really really cool because it, it is like a there's a huge creative piece there that was like unleashed. Yeah. Which is really neat. Well, just a small piece on this is that the first part of the book is really is going to be about the dumpster fire, mm-hmm. like what you heard today. Mm-hmm. And at the end, the poem that I wrote was called "I Don't Know," mm-hmm. because it was literally in that moment that it was the first time I ever faced "I don't know." I don't know what's going to happen today, mm-hmm. and I even feel that now. I, yeah, it was just so so dreadful that uh, ambiguity, mm-hmm. not knowing. Being that the second part is all about the, you know, what, like, how did this dumpster fire come to being is really about the, the ADHD experience. And that's something I am working on now in terms of poetry. But the last part was this, was reflecting on this. And in some ways, I'm so grateful. And the fact is that, gosh, I'm one of the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. And how could it not be called a perfect heart attack? Mm-hmm. And that's what the last poem is about. Mm-hmm. It's thinking about all the things that I had been told over the years, words of wisdom that, I, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I thought I could go look up a book and go, what, what are the things I need to know moving forward? I thought, I've already been told all the things, all the words of wisdom yeah, that I things. actually need to know. Yeah. As I got goosebumps sharing this. And we I thought, the, the messages yeah. were there. Yeah, I feel like because we're talking about you know heart health on some levels like we should be leaving some fun facts and I maybe I'll put a couple of things in the show notes I mean the one thing I can say that I think is tied into this as a woman is the one statistic that that I know from working in some cardiovascular fields before is that heart attacks tend to kill women the first time and men tend to survive them Mm -hmm. and maybe have multiples and women's cardiovascular health is a really under discussed issue and the chronic stress and strain of being a woman and a mother and a, and a worker with ADHD whether you know you have it or not whether it's well treated or not whether you have all the supports you have or not for sure contribute to probably poor outcomes when it comes to managing cardiovascular disease long term so I would just say, you know, for everybody out there, we'll put some resources in the show notes that if you have been neglecting your cardiovascular health, that maybe you could take a moment to not anymore and to maybe pay attention to some things that as we get older become really important, right? We're, we're not like rechargeable batteries, like we do run out at some point. And so we want to just take care of ourselves for as long as we can so we can have the best quality of life we possibly can. If you wanted to like deliver a message, I think maybe to a doc, whether it's family doctors out there listening or cardiologists out there listening, is there anything that you can share with them or with nurses and nurse practitioners that you think that they should know based on your experience as a patient and a patient with ADHD? Well, I'm just going to piggyback on something that you shared a moment ago about coronary heart disease, Mm -hmm. heart attacks, women, Mm -hmm. and it also relates to ADHD diagnosis and medication, the under diagnosis yeah, and yeah. under medication or medicating yeah. for women and girls. Mm-hmm. And you put that together, mm-hmm. let alone number three, is the lifestyle of women doing two Too or much. three jobs. Yeah. It's it's not just cliche. All the overfunctioners. It's, it's real. It's real. Yeah. And I think those three all have to be taken into account. And so when it's a doctor working with a man, working working with a woman, anybody, 
is to actually have a holistic picture of the person. Mm-hmm. That they're not just a, a, a blood report. They're not just a blood pressure reading. Yeah. But understanding what's happening to them, psychosocial, psychoemotional, mm-hmm. what's happening in the person's life, and what's working and is not, what's not working. Mm-hmm. Often, and I know that you do this, when we're sitting down with clients for the very first time, mm-hmm. what we're listening to is not just the narrative. What, what are they bringing in as their concern? Mm-hmm. But also, how are they functioning yeah. at work? All the moving parts. Their day-to-day. Yeah. How are they functioning in terms of relationships? Like, is their life working? Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of doctors that will spend the time and they'll just, like, they'll put the clipboard away and lean forward and, and get mm-hmm. a good take, and that's fantastic. I think that models what's important is understanding who the person is in front of you. Yeah. And it's not just, so what's the problem? Okay, there's a script. Yeah. Or we'll send you out for blood work or an x-ray. Yeah. But what's actually happening in terms of the bigger picture? Yeah, it's so important. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for sharing this, for being here, for being vulnerable. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot as a therapist to show up and share all the stuff. So I am honored that you're doing that here and with this audience who's so engaged and so, I think, appreciative of this information that we share on this podcast. And so if anyone wants to share this with their doctor, please do. Because as Mm -hmm. the child of a doctor, I feel like, you know, I've grown up in medicine and I've grown up around docs my whole life and love them. And they have really a really hard job. And so I think being able to put together these stories and share this slightly different perspective. I've never heard anybody talk about this from the the ADHD lens before. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really admirable that you're doing that because I think it's going to help a lot of people. Well, may I say a few things? Yeah. Thank you for your support. (laughs) Thank you for letting me share here. And my friends who are there that kept me company emotionally and my family who were there. I love you all. And thanks so much. (laughs) Look forward to the book. Thanks. That is all for today, my friends. We hope you enjoyed being a fly on the wall for this awesome discussion. Check out the show notes on the episode page for all the relevant links we discussed today. You can submit a voice memo for future episodes if you want. Leave me a message there and let me know what you thought. If you like the show, please take a screenshot, share it on your social medias, tag me at Dig a Little Deeper Therapy. So we know we should keep doing this and that you like what we're putting out for you. Until then, see you next time.